The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hi everybody, this is Rabbi Cohen with a shiur on Parshat Lech Lecha. Parshat Lech Lecha opens with one of the ten nisyonot, challenges that Hashem put Avraham through. We're told in Pirkei Avot, that Avraham Avinu was put through ten tremendous challenges by Hashem. The first one was when he was thrown into a furnace and was saved by the saved from there. He was, he was thrown into the furnace by Nimrod. The second one is what our parasha to Shavuah opens with: the lech lecha to have to leave your land and go away. And he did exactly as he was told. Not an easy thing to get up and go. That was the second trial that Avraham Avinu had to go through. The third one is also from our parasha. There was a famine in the land. Even though Hashem had promised Avraham, Nevertheless, you're going to have tremendous bracha. Nevertheless, when the famine came, which is, it would seem a clear contradiction to what he was promised, he didn't think, well, hang on, why did Hashem do this? He accepted it immediately. That was his third trial. The fourth trial was also in this Pasha. We see Sarah was taken to Paro. The fifth one, the, the, the war with the four kings. And when he trusted in Hashem, when we see that Avraham Avinu trusted in Hashem, even though he was going to war with these tremendously strong enemies, nevertheless he trusted in Hashem, and Hashem did a miracle for him, and he was saved, and he managed to save his brother. That was the fifth of the, the, the challenges that Avraham had to go through. Altogether there were ten. The sixth one was doing a Brit Milah to himself at the age of 90. The seventh one was when Sarah was taken by Avimelech. The eighth one, when he had to throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the house even though he thought it wasn't a good thing to do, but he was told by Hashem to listen to Sarah. The ninth was Akedat Yitzchak. He was told to go and sacrifice his son. And the tenth was when he came to bury Sarah, that he had to go into negotiations to buy a piece of land, even though he's been promised that everything is his. And Avraham went through all these trials and he survived, his faith survived, his faith in Hashem survived.
and he just became stronger and stronger as he passed through each trial. Last year we had the Olympics. How do you get to be a, a gold a gold medal Olympic winner? Only by going through a lot of trials. Working, sweating, until you're sick sometimes. You're sick, you're puking your guts up. Only then can you get to be an Olympic gold medalist. I'm saying this because I'm... Yeah, only, only then can you get to be an Olympic gold medalist. You have to go through trials. We all want to become gold medalists. To do that, we also have to go through trials. Now, we don't ask for trials ever. We don't ask for trials. But we need to know, as the Misilat Yisharim says, the Ramchal, that all our life in this world is all challenges. We're in the corridor before the large hall. We haven't yet got to the large hall. And while we're going through this corridor, we're going through challenges all the time. We're being challenged. Everything that happens to us is the challenge, says the Misilat Yisharim. If, you, if you're wealthy, it's a challenge. What are you going to do with your wealth? Are you going to do good with your wealth or not going to do anything with your wealth? You're going to do bad with your wealth, maybe even. If you're poor, what are you going to do with your poverty? Are you going to just sit and cry all day? Or are you going to get up and do things? Serve Hashem in some way, whatever way you can, even though you're poor. But you certainly can by doing good deeds and kindness. If you're unhealthy, what are you going to do? You're going to sit and cry all day about the fact that you're unhealthy? Or are you going to get up and do things? And if you're healthy, what are you going to do with your health? Are you going to use your healthy time to serve Hashem? Or just enjoy hanging around, hanging out? So everything's a trial. But these trials that Moshe Rabbeinu went through, they were really, really difficult trials and he proved himself in each one of them. But I want to concentrate with you today about the war. The war that Avram had to go into with the kings, with the four kings, which was the fifth test in our Parsha, in Parsha Teshavua. And talk a bit about, around that, about law and ethics in times of war. Things which we have clear halachot about. About how we're supposed to behave in times of war. And we see that the moral standard that is expected of a Jew in times of war is very, very high. That even though the adrenaline is, the adrenaline is pumping in a way that someone who's never been to war can never understand, the adrenaline is pumping in a way that you can't control it. But nevertheless, a Jew is expected to control himself. We all know the mitzvah of Eshet Yafatar, that if a man at the time of the war, he sees a woman, because of all the adrenaline that's pumping through him, he might feel attracted to her. So the Torah doesn't say, no, 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 cover your eyes and run away. No, you can take her. But you can't do anything until you take her home, let her sit down and mourn for her parents, 
grow her hair, not cut her nails. And then, afterwards, if you still want to, you can marry her. Controlling your desires. The Torah recognises these natural desires that people will have at time of, times of war when, like I said, the adrenaline is pumping in a way that it never does at other times. And the Torah recognises that and wants to help us control it. And so he says, yeah, it's allowed, just wait. Just wait a little bit and then you can be with this woman. The Torah also establishes its boundaries when and how to, dis- to, 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 to conduct a war, who takes part in the war, and about the, contact, the conduct of the soldiers in the army. And emphasizes the importance of controlling yourself. And we see that Hashem, even at this time, is concerned very much about uh, our spiritual well-being. We find that King David, the great King David, who went to many wars, he went out to war many times. And every time he went, he was commanded to go. They would ask the Urim and Tumim, they would be asking the Kohen Gadol, is it a time to go to war, is it not a time to go to war? Every time he went to war, he had permission to go to war. But nevertheless, we find that David, even though he wanted to be the person who was going to build the Beit HaMikdash, he was not allowed to do it, because he'd spilt too much blood. Even though he'd been going to wars that he'd been allowed to fight, that he had permission to fight them from Hashem, directly from Hashem, through the Urim and Tumim, Nevertheless, someone who shed so much blood is not going to be the person that's going to build the house for Hashem. It's going to affect you. It affects you in some way, whether spiritual or physical. And only his son Shlomo was allowed to build the Beit HaMikdash. We, we find that even today, someone who's killed another person, even if they did it accidentally in a car accident, that there's a halachic question as to whether they're allowed to do birkat koanim. Right, to bless everyone, because the spilling of blood is a, is a, um, is something that can affect us and something we don't want to be involved in. Even when it's allowed. And, you know, someone who, God forbid, killed someone in a car accident unintentionally. So they're not a murderer. But nevertheless, there's a question. Are they allowed to 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 uh, bless the community if they're a Kohen? What about Kohenim that were in the Israeli army and killed people during the war? Are they allowed to do Birkat Kohenim? Rav Vad Yosef says, yes, they are. Some people I know are machmir about that, but the important thing we want to see here is the consideration. Right? Bloodshed can influence a, per- a person. We're told specially that at a time of war, 
We need to guard ourselves from all evil. There's a special warning to be keep ourselves pure, right? Not to get involved in idolatry or incest. The Ramban explains that human nature is that the moral restraints that we have are loosened at the time of war. And we shed the sense of shame, he writes, that we would normally have. The things that are stopping us from theft and immorality. Because of the cruelty that envelopes a soldier when he's in war, so we can get dragged in to doing these things, to be involved in theft and, and immorality. And therefore we have a special emphasis, says the Ramban, that we have to keep our camp pure. The camp, v'tiyah machanecha kadosh. The camp of the Jewish people has to be a pure place. The Chinuch learns that there's a special mitzvah of keeping the camp clean. Again, because of, you know, this is an important thing to keep things clean and pure. A special coin was appointed that he would tell everybody what's going on and he would speak to the people before they go out to war to encourage them. But he would also say, who should be going home? Remember, in Jewish law, we have two types of wars. We have what's called a milchemet reshut and a milchemet mitzvah. A milchemet reshut is going to war to enlarge our boundaries. Whereas a milchemet mitzvah is to capture the parts of Eretz Israel that Hashem told us should be parts of Eretz Israel. And to defend ourselves, of course, is also a milchemet mitzvah. When our enemies want to attack us, then that's, uh, you know, then it's a milchemet mitzvah for us to fight back and to protect ourselves. So, even though there are people that don't go to war, that's only in the case of a milchemet reshut, where we're widening our boundaries, one that we're not obligated to, to do. But a war that we're obligated to do, everyone goes to war, right? Only in the times of a milchemet reshut do we say that someone who's just built a house and hasn't lived in it shouldn't go to war, someone who's planted their vineyard. And then we say someone who's afraid. There's a special mitzvah not to be afraid when you're going to war. There's two types of fear this could be. Is it the fear of war? Or is it the fear that your sense of mercy is going to, help, uh, to, going to affect your ability to fight? Right? That's, that's the fear, says Rabbi Akiva, that we're talking about. Not that you're afraid because you're a sinner and who knows what's going to happen to you in this dangerous situation. Although that is actually the opinion of Yosia Glili, that the reason for you to be afraid is that maybe you've done Averas, Averot, and this is a time you're going to be punished. Whereas Rabbi Akiva says he's talking about the fear of war, that maybe you're afraid that because of your sense of mercy, which is something that we Jews have a lot of and we should be developing it, developing it all the time, 
that we might not fight the way we should do. Even in those times, in the Muhammad um, Rashut, these people that aren't going out to be in the front line, nevertheless, they would help um, help in supplies, bringing supplies to the front line soldiers. Right? Only the person who hasn't yet built a home is the person that would stay at home. All the other people that they're afraid and whatever, and because of that they're not going to the front line, but they would stay in the second line, providing supplies, which is very important, to the soldiers that were in the front line. Only someone who hasn't built a home yet, see from here the importance of building a home, right? Only that person was someone who would be able to go home. What about where, so we said that Milchemet Rashut is to enlarge the boundaries and a Milchemet Mitzvah is to free the land from the seven nations, to wipe out Amalek or defend Israel against an enemy attack. But what about a preemptive strike, right? A good general knows that there's nothing like a preemptive strike when you see your enemies getting ready to attack you. So, most posts can agree that that would be considered as a milchem, as a mil, uh, as a milchemet mitzvah, right? Even though you are initiating the war, seeing as it's a preemptive strike, that's considered as something that a milchemet mitzvah, and not a milchemet reshut. We see a very very important point when. Jews go to war, which of course I'm sure that Aram, in his war with the, with the four kings, also kept all this. We're told that when a town is being surrounded, we should always, always leave them a chance to escape. When you're fighting, don't close in your enemy from all sides, always leave him an escape route. Why is this? It would seem that it's mercy. We the Jews are a merciful people and even when we've surrounded our enemy, even, in we even when we now can destroy our enemy, nevertheless we should think and be compassionate and have mercy on them and leave them a way out. I must say, the Ramban gives another reason that is a tactical reason. That when there's a way out, then your enemy is not going to fight as hard as if there's no way out. Right? We all know that if your back's to the wall, then you're going to fight much harder than if you know you've got a way out. And so therefore some say that it was a tactical reason. It was a tactical thing to leave the enemy a way out. And not because of necessarily compassion and mercy. But as I said, others say no, that it is because of compassion and mercy. When a town has been captured, we're told that we're not allowed to destroy the trees. Right? Even a thing like that, which when the adrenaline's running is something that could certainly be done. Um, nevertheless, we don't make unnecessary destruction. Only things that would need to be, 
to be destroyed for whatever reason, because they're providing hiding places for our enemies, maybe. Um, but first of all, like I said, so there's two, two special rules that we have when, when the Jewish army surrounds a city. One is to call and give them an option to surrender. And the other is to always leave them a way out. Some say that that is a tactic. So that they'll fight, they won't fight as hard. Because when someone's back to the wall, then they fight with much more vigor and much more violence and much more need than when they have a way out. And that's the reason why we're leaving a way out. But others say that the reason to leave them a way out is because of compassion and mercy. That even at a time of war, even at a time of killing, we're still supposed to have that compassion. Certainly a very difficult thing to do. In our days here in Israel, we have one of the most morally correct armies in the world. And we thank Hashem for that, that our, arm, our armies have morals. And there's not Hashem that we should beat all our enemies and drive them all away in the way that Hashem intended us and wants us to do it in a humane way and not in a violent way. Because we are the people of peace. Wish you all Shabbat Shalom and a good week. Thank you. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakha consultation, monetary Bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at thshc.org to subscribe.